You're listening to The Higher Ed Marketer, the podcast for marketing professionals in higher education. Join us every week as we talk to the industry's greatest minds in student recruitment, donor relations, marketing trends, new technologies, and much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where marketing in higher ed is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketer Podcast. I'm Troy Singer here with Bart Kaler. Today, we talk to Brian Piper. He is the co-author of the second edition of the book, Epic Content Marketing. And Bart, I think that's the perfect title for the conversation that we have with Brian today. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that, um, you know, he's actually the author of two books, Epic Content Marketing, the ver- second version with Joe Paluzzi. And then he's also a co-author and one of many with the most amazing marketing book ever. And so I think those two are kind of great titles. Um, Brian obviously has a tremendous amount of expertise in content marketing, and he applies that in the last several years with the University of Rochester. And I really like the practicality of what he offers to the uh, to the to the audience uh, today, and I think it's one of those episodes that you know, if you're listening in the car, you might want to go back and take some notes when you when you stop, and definitely um, have a chance to kind of review the blog post when it comes out in a few weeks. But uh, we walk away with a lot of really good practical advice. Here's our conversation with Brian Piper. Brian, we are so happy to have you as a guest on the podcast. And as you probably know, we start out each episode with asking our guests to share something that they have learned recently that's either fun or they deem interesting to share with our guests. Well, thank you both for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. And my wife and I have six kids between the two of us, and they are always bringing uh, little thoughts and trivia facts home with us. And I just discovered earlier this week that bananas are actually berries and strawberries are not. (laughs) Love that. See, that's the type of information that you can only get from the Higher Ed Marketer podcast. Thank you, Brian. So, Brian, if you would, please tell us what your role entails as the Director of Content Strategy and Assessment at the University of Rochester. Yeah, so when I was initially hired, I was brought in to look at our content data and figure out what content was performing well and what content wasn't. So that's where you tie in the content strategy and the assessment part of it in my role. Brian, one of the topics we know you talk about is identifying who your users are, who your audience is, and also identifying your strategic goals, and then making sure you're able to connect them and what tactics you use to do so. If you would, for our listeners, if you can introduce that topic to them and then start describing what you mean by that. Yeah, so when I start looking at data, and people always ask me, what data should I be looking at? What metrics should I be monitoring? And I always start with, it depends, because which is the answer they don't want to hear, but <laughs> The first thing you need to always do is understand what your strategic goals are and what priorities those align in. You have to know your institutional goals, your department goals, your school goals, and which ones are the highest priority for you. That's kind of the first audit that we run, the first stage that we go through whenever we're helping someone optimize their content. 
And then the second piece of that is really identifying who your users are, who you're talking to, what specific audience is the target for each piece of content. Then you can start coming up with all the different tactics that you're going to use to have those users take some action that's going to help you reach your strategic goals. And that's when you can start figuring out what data you're going to be using because the data will tell you how effective each of those tactics are, how impactful each piece of content is, and how much it's actually helping your users to know, like, and trust you so that they will help you reach your strategic goals. So, Brian, as we kind of talk, think through that, I'm kind of reminded that, at least in my experience, I see a lot of people who kind of go to number three quickly with tactics uh, because they're like, oh, there's a shiny object. Let's go, let's go try TikTok. Let's go try this. Uh, we heard we need to do blogs. Let's do that. But what's the danger when you kind of start from that end rather than starting at the other end with the strategy and with the audience and with the goals and things like that? Yeah, I mean, if you're creating content that's not directly tied to a specific goal or not focused on a specific, very particular user, you're kind of just throwing it out there. You're hoping that something is going to have an impact, that something's going to work. It's very difficult to measure if you don't know what you're trying to accomplish with each piece of content, with everything that you put out there. So once you really start focusing on what content should we be producing? What content is going to help us reach our goals? What content is going to answer questions and solve problems for this particular set of users? I mean, we, we always say, you know, data without strategy is just numbers. It doesn't really mean anything. Right. You're not going to get any insights out of it. But when you really start sp specifically looking at the users that you're trying to target, and specifically looking at what action you're trying to get them to take and what goals you're trying to reach, then you can start to measure things and track your metrics. And that's what's going to allow you to find those insights so that you can pivot and change and A-B test to figure out what works best on each platform, on each channel for every different user. Okay, so let's kind of unpack that a little bit. And I'm going to get in the weeds here. But I think the practicality of it is actually a good exercise to do. So let's just pretend that okay, I'm I'm on the enrollment team at my university. And, uh, you know, one of the strategic goals is we want, you know, more students. I'm, I'm trying to figure out I'm guessing that we need to kind of niche down. Because um, what I've heard is a lot of times is that just saying, hey, let's get more students. And then we start putting you know, uh, we say, well, then we go to, you know, what the goal is. And then the audience is, is, you know, 17 year olds. But I'm guessing that you might even say we can get more strategic than just more students. We could be more about we need more Hispanic students that are first generation students. Let's unpack that a little bit and tell me how you guys go about thinking through that. Yeah, so the key is really looking at each specific goal you're trying to reach. So exactly as you said, if you're trying to attract a particular population, if you're trying to get more people into a specific program, you have to look at who the users are who are going to be most interested in that program, how you can connect with a particular a group of users on a specific platforms. So you need to start thinking about what questions that specific group of users is asking what problems are they facing how can you provide resources that are going to help them in their journey whether or not they choose your institution or not there are all sorts of you know having a bunch of high school seniors uh, and recent high school seniors in our household <laughs> right. 
we get a lot of those questions. We understand what what the kids are looking for, what potential students are interested in, and what questions they have. Those are the types of content that you need to start thinking about integrating into your site and putting it in a language that they can understand, writing at a easy to read, easy to consume, scannable content that creates some sort of action that puts those calls to action within the content. So that if you are, let's say our, our news center staff comes to us with an article about a, uh, you know, a student uh, feature. So we're going to feature a student who recently graduated. Let's look at the specific program. Let's look at the questions that they were asking when they decided to choose our institution. What problems were they facing? How can we take the information that we learned from them and share that with other students who are going to have the same problems, be facing the same, right. you know, uh, issues? Okay, and so kind of using that example we just talked about, I mean, we've got, you know, maybe we've got the Hispanic first-generation students that we want. We've interviewed those incoming students. Now we have an idea of what some of those questions are. Maybe we understand the cultural impact of, you know, mom and dad and grandma and grandpa are helping make the decision with that particular culture. We've developed some content on that. Then that third element is tactically, where, how do we put that out there so that they can consume that? Let's talk a little bit about that. What are, some, what are some ways that they can do that? I mean, a lot of people think, well, we'll just throw it on the website. But I think that you've got some, some ideas that are a little different than that. Yeah, you really need to think about which users are on which channels. How are you going to connect with them? What language are you going to use? What formats are you going to use? If you're doing a feature on a student that's going to go on your news site, that's not the place to target undergraduate students. You need to think about how to set up uh, interviews with them that you can capture in vertical video that you can share on social. The best way to do that is to help have them help you by having them create content that then you can promote. So now you're having content that's authentically created by your target audience that can be shared with your you know, potential ideal target audience. And it's going to be much more authentic. It's going to be much more true to uh, the language that they use, the platforms that they're on, the messages that they're conveying. Probably not the same content that you're going to put on your uh, news site or your department page that's going to talk about right. those particular success stories. I love that. I love the fact that you're kind of you know empowering students saying, hey, here's the keys to TikTok. Go do some you know trending things that kind of get us attention. We're actually developing content that's answering the questions in the context that they need to re respond to that. One thing I also want to kind of tease out a little bit because I, I find that a lot of schools are, are doing some of what you just described, but they only get, you know, they only focus on that one prospective student or that traditional undergrad or help me understand a little bit too on some of your thoughts around those other influencers that are part of that higher ed marketing, you know, context. I mean, mom and dad, I think are, are a prime example of content that needs to be developed for them. Yeah. And you really need to think outside of the scope of the uh, traditional first year undergrad, because, you know, I mean, right. we, we have about 6,800 undergraduate students and about 5,000 graduate students. So our graduate students are a huge portion of the population that we're trying to reach. So we really need to start mm -hmm. thinking about what content are they looking for? How can we niche down within each of those different groups? Some of our graduate students are specifically looking for research opportunities. So how can we put out content that focuses and features the research opportunities that we have 
at our institution and show them how those opportunities can help them get better jobs or, uh, you know, fulfill personal, uh, you know, um, desires that they have. Great. That's good. And then just a final thought on this, and then we'll kind of move on. When you start to talk about getting that data, what what are some of those, uh, you know, what are, what are the KPIs that you're looking to measure content? I mean, a lot of people might say, oh, is it the t- t- amount of times that the page is looked at? Is it, you know, how many times that the post is liked? What are some of the metrics that you recommend? Yeah, and it just depends on what you're trying to do with the content. So if you're just looking to create brand awareness, then, you know, time on page, uh, engagement time, those sorts of metrics are important. But you also wanna incorporate those calls to action where you're trying to lead that user down into your conversion funnel. So are they clicking on a button that's gonna take them into the academic section so they can look at the programs you offer? Or are they more interested in looking at, you know, who the faculty is and what their credentials are so they can determine whether or not that's the right program for them? And ideally, you know, you want to be able to track all the way down through, you know, a request for information or booking a campus tour or even enrolling. I mean, that's the ideal funnel from start to finish. If you can track, you know, a social media hit to a visit to your website to an eventual enrollment, that's the gold right there. Oh, yeah, because that starts to justify what we do every day. So that's that's great. As you described, both the undergraduate and graduate uh, programs that you have at the university, I imagine there's a lot of different audiences that you have to speak to and would love to know what your approach is or maybe your thought process of either how granular or how broad or how narrow those target audiences are and then your approach to creating content to speak to those target audiences. University of Rochester is uh, its a private R1 research university. We have a music school, a business school, uh, education school. We have a medical facility. So we have all sorts of different audiences, different students, different users. And the key is really when you're, you know, content marketing is different than social media marketing because content marketing is focused on content first. Uh, Social media marketing is focused on channel first, and then you're creating content for that channel. Whereas in content marketing, you're looking high level and starting off with what's the story you want to tell? Who's the audience that you want to connect with? And how is that going to help you reach your goals? So each piece of content we get, every new story, every new research uh, finding that we discover that we want to share out to the world, we have to think about who is the audience that's going to have the greatest impact by taking some action against this content that's going to help us reach our goals? When I first started at the institution, uh, our content officers would come to our editorial council and they would ask, you know, here's a story idea we have. We would be like, yes, this is great content. We need to put this story out in the world. Who is the audience for this content? And they would say, everybody. Everybody is the audience. Everybody needs to read this. And we would say everybody is not an audience. You have to pick one very specific audience. Is this a piece of content that's going to target a potential undergraduate chemistry research student? You have to really think on that very specific level. And ideally, if you have talked to those students, if you have 
uh, talk to your users and you have a specific person in mind that you can keep in your head while you're writing that piece of content so that the language is right for them, the level of depth is right for them, and the calls to action are aligned with them. That's where you're going to have the greatest impact. Once you understand that, then you can start thinking about what channels is this going to go on? What formats should this be in? Is this audio? Is this video? Mm -hmm. Is this social media? So that you really have to start off, you know, high level looking at the story, but then you've got to dive deep into who is the specific user that's going to have the greatest impact on our, you know, strategic goals by taking some action from this content. So a lot of times that might be like a persona that you kind of work out to, to kind of build on that. Do you, I mean, I talk to a lot of different schools and, you know, everybody kind of talks about personas, but I'm off, often curious. I mean, practically how many personas do you typically work with, uh, with, with, and I guess it depends on the school or the context, but I mean, just give me an idea when, when you guys are working on your team, when you're working with different schools, how many personas do you typically work with? Yeah, and that was one of the things that we, we talked about in Epic Content Marketing is the the mm -hmm. way that personas are created has changed uh, in the last 10 years. We really like using personas, but the key thing, the key criteria that you have to have in any persona is what are the decision-making factors? What are the final when you, you know, the, the user comes up with their full list of pros and cons about making a particular decision, what are the criteria that they go back to that are most important to them? So as long as you have that key understanding for your audience, that's the most important element for any persona mm -hmm. is really understanding what criteria are used to make a decision as to whether or not to, you know, use your services, buy your products, come to your school. Okay. That's, that's, that's a really good, really good way to kind of look at that. And I, and I'm sure that the idea too, of just kind of making sure that you're addressing those needs and problems. I mean, that, that is in, in a way a, in a, a persona, but you kind of referenced earlier and I'm going to kind of do a little bit of a nod to Jay Bear, just the idea of, you know, making sure that you have the questions, you're answering the questions people are asking. He was on the podcast, you know, on an earlier episode. I know that, you know, you, you know, Jay and, and, and his work. And so help us kind of just unpack that a little bit, because I think that sometimes we kind of say that pretty quickly. And I think if people don't really understand what we're talking about there, I think it's real easy to say, oh yeah, yeah, we do that. But I think that sometimes it takes a little bit more work than just, yeah, yeah, we do that. Talk about your your process and kind of understanding, you know, what those needs and problems are and kind of understanding that to kind of build that content map. Yeah, and there's a lot of different ways you can gather that information. You can gather it through surveys and questionnaires. But the best way to get information about your users, the best resources to use when you're building personas is just to have real conversations with those people. So find students. Mm -hmm. Ideally, you'd be able to also talk to you know, students who didn't choose you and figure out why, right. what their decision-making factors were that caused them to go somewhere else. But the key is really to have those conversations to personalize the users that you're talking to so that you can really make sure that that content is hitting home with them, that you're addressing their specific problems, that you're answering the questions that they have in a way that isn't trying to sell them something or push them something. You're looking for an opportunity to build that trust, to create that relationship so that they see you as 
a reliable, trusted source that they can come back to whether or not they decide to to enroll with you. Yeah, that's great. And I love the fact that you talked there about the personalization. And I think that's going to be a, a key, you know, really a big factor, personalization and authentic personalization. And I think we're going to talk about that here in a couple minutes on a few other things. Well, I wanted to give him an opportunity to highlight his books because he quickly referenced Epic Content Marketing. And some people may not know that's that's one of the two books <laughs> that Brian has authored. So, Brian, if you would, please give us an introduction to those books and how you feel they would best benefit higher ed marketers. Yeah, so the first edition of Epic Content Marketing is actually what got me into content marketing 10 years ago. And then by uh, establishing a relationship with Joe Polizzi, the author of that book, I eventually uh, convinced him that he needed to do a second edition of that book. And he asked me uh, to co-author that with him. And that book really Mm. goes from it goes deep into content marketing as far as how to do it, how to set it up, the importance of finding those strategies, identifying your content marketing mission statement determining who your key audience is. And then the second third of the book really goes into looking at your data, figuring out what content's working, what channels you need to deliver on, how to address audiences on those channels. And then the last third of the book goes into everything from you know AI to Web3 to community and super fans. And it's really the entire guidebook to how to do content marketing. And then the, the second book that I co-authored, which just came out this month in March, was, um, or in June, sorry, was the most amazing marketing book ever. It's a collaboration between 36 different authors led by Mark Schaefer, and each of us focused on one particular area of marketing. We wrote a specific chapter about that that we're all kind of uh, joined together. Yeah, and both of those are great books. I recommend them both. We'll put links in the show notes to those. But those are um, those are two books. I know that Epic Content Marketing has been a big influence for me over the past several years, and I I've quoted Joe several times on my blog, and and then I was thrilled to kind of have a chance to meet Brian recently and and invite him on the podcast as well with his experience specifically in higher ed marketing. But I think that both of those books, I think that um, you know, one thing I, I would encourage everyone that's listening is that there are very few books that are specific to higher ed marketing. So you kind of have to go out there and you have to learn from what's going on in the business world, what's going on to B2C, what's going on B2B. And I think that you can learn and then apply that because, again, everything is changing. And, you know, I I did some work in the late 90s with um, Motorola, and it was the same time that I was doing work on my first higher ed clients. And so it was interesting because I was doing websites for my alma mater, Anderson University, did a little bit of work at Notre Dame, but I was also flying up to Waukegan to the Motorola headquarters and, and working with them on how to introduce this new idea of, hey, you could take a picture on your cell phone or you could you know send this thing called a, a text message. And we were having to kind of do these use cases to illustrate what this was because nobody, nobody would believe you that you would take a phone, take a picture on your phone. We take it for granted now. But during that time, I realized I was watching Motorola and what they were doing to kind of help young teenagers understand it and put a desire to have these kind of devices. And it started to connect to me. It's like, wow, these guys are spending a lot of research money on how to do this. 
if I can just watch what they're doing and then figure out how to reverse engineer some things into higher ed, there's something there. And I think that 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 is the same thing that's going on now. I don't care if you're at a large R1 school or if you're at a very small micro college, you can learn a lot from what's going on in the business world. And so be sure to pay attention to that. And I think Brian's books would be a great first step if you haven't already been doing that. So um, one thing is I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the books because I did, I I am reading the uh, Epic Content Marketing, the Refresh. And one thing that I've really found interesting about it is just this idea of moving into the role of artificial intelligence. And so I'd like to kind of spend the rest of the time in our conversation just about AI and some of these emerging technologies. I think a lot of people use ChatGPT as kind of the shorthand for AI. And as we know, that's just one element of this larger aspect. But kind of just unpack that for a second, Brian, about, you know, in your research, what you've been doing, how you're using it. Um, I'd like to just hear a little bit about what's going on in your world. Yeah, and mostly what we're using, well, ChatGPT, we're primarily using for ideation, organization, dissemination. So it's really good at looking at large amounts of data and summarizing it. It can take very complex research papers and dilute them down to very consumable, understandable uh, summaries. Makes it much easier for Mm -hmm. us to distill that down in a way that students can easily understand that our different audiences right. connect with. But you know, in general, we're looking to use AI to reduce a lot of the monotonous, repetitive work that we do. So anything that can be automated, you need to start looking at your processes to figure out what you can take off your plate and let AI do, because there are a lot of things that it just does better than us. Yeah, and I think that it's changing so quickly. I mean, we we were at a conference together a couple of weeks ago, and you and I had a chance to meet face to face. And I think that um, you know the idea of how quickly AI is changing, and then and then we can start talking about you know Web three technologies. And and I think a lot of people kind of get confused to say, well, isn't AI just what they're talking about with Web three? I think it's a piece of it. So unpack that for me because I know that people might have heard of blockchain or or virtual reality or augmented reality or the metaverse. Maybe tell me a little bit about that and and where that's going. Yeah, I really think that the blockchain is kind of the future for data storage, for data privacy, for allowing individual users to manage their data in a much more personal way. I think there are some great examples of that already out there. I know Estonia has converted their entire government system over to blockchain since 2008, and it takes them you know, 15 <laughs> minutes to do their taxes. And if they're going to switch hospitals, they don't have to call their doctor and have their medical records switched. They can just go on the blockchain, turn off access for some people, and turn access on for other people. I think we're going to see you know, our mortgages, our car titles, all of those documents that we have, all of that data that our, we need. Our stored. transcripts. It's, exactly. So I heard a statistic the other day that 80% of the people on LinkedIn who say they went to Harvard did not. (laughs) So if LinkedIn was connected to the blockchain and it could validate and verify your credentials very easily, then none of that would happen. Um, So I really do think that, uh, you know, transcripts, diplomas, uh, any sort of proof of certifications or knowledge could all be put into the blockchain and then we would have digital resumes that would be verified, uh, proofed, 
And then you could easily share those with employers or you could use AI to go out and search through the div different digital resumes that, out, that were out there and find the specifically proper uh, person who you were looking for to do your job with the right qualifications. That's going to be just one aspect of everything that's going to be coming down the pike. And I do think that higher ed is going to get swept up in that really quickly with especially just like transcripts and privacy issues and, and, and things like that, especially even enrollment and, and elements like that. So as we kind of start thinking about that, um, you know, any, any ideas that you have just as, as far as helping people prepare for that? Because I know there's a lot of fear right now. I mean, a lot of times when I talk to people, they're either really excited about it because they have figured out prompt engineering and they've been prompting it and they're getting what they want out of it. But then there's this other side where, you know, they're scared that, hey, am I going to have a job? You know, my, I'm, I'm a creative. Am I going to be able to I've seen what Photoshop can do? Where where does it what, what, what's next? So what, what are you kind of, you know, talking about or thinking about in that realm? Yeah, what I tell everybody is. You know, people have fear about things that they don't understand. And I tell people to just start experimenting, start playing, start paying attention to what other people, what other groups are doing. Because people are very concerned about losing their jobs to AI. But you're going to lose your jobs to someone who knows how to use AI. You're not going to lose your job to AI. You're going to have to figure out how to right. pivot away from skills that are easily replaced, easily automated. And you're going to have to figure out how to lean into these new technologies. And we saw it happen with the Internet, with mobile. You know, and it's just another step in the process. It's another tool yeah. to use. You just have to start thinking about how you can best use it and how it can help you do your job better. Yeah, I love the fact that you talked about it being a tool. That's what I've been telling everybody. It's like, figure it out, but it's a tool. It's, an auto, it's a co-pilot with you. You still have to be in charge. Exactly. Brian, our time with you has gone too quickly. And for those that are listening that is they are not familiar with Brian, I encourage you to follow him and to uh, link with him. And I'll ask him for some information here shortly. We've talked about a lot of broad and wonderful things. Would like to know if there's anything, um, an idea or a recommendation that you have that can be taken immediately by a listener and implemented. Yeah, the biggest thing I can say to people is make sure you clearly understand your strategic goals and what priority those fall into. So every person who is creating content should have a clear idea of what their institutional goals are, their department goals, their individual school goals, so that they can make sure that everything that they're creating is pointing and focusing towards one of those goals. Very good. Thank you, Brian. And as I said before, if someone would like to contact you or follow you on some of the platforms that you broadcast on, how could they do that? I am at brianwpiper.com and on almost every social channel as Brian W. Piper. Thank you very much, Brian. We have enjoyed this conversation and Bart and I have been looking forward to it since we got word from you that you would agree to be with us. Bart, do you have any closing comments before we leave the episode? 
you know, there were such a, so many great things talked about on this conversation. And I think that this conversation is just a snippet. And if I made a, a preview of what you're going to find in the book, I really think that I would, you know, encourage our listeners to, to go out and grab a copy of Epic Content Marketing version two, as well as the most amazing marketing book. It speaks for itself in the title, obviously. And so I think those would be two great, uh, great uh, summer reads that you should do. Um, I really appreciated what Brian said too, about just the idea of leaning into some of these things, trying them, trying artificial intelligence, kind of getting used to chat GPT and some other things. Um, a lot of really good practical advice in this, in this episode. So Brian, thanks so much for being a part of it and, uh, and always welcome to have you come back anytime. Well, thank you very much for having me on the show. I love the content that you are both creating and putting out there and you're really helping the higher ed community. So thank you. Thank you, Brian. And we also would like to thank Rob Conlon, who is our producer from Westport Studios. And we couldn't do this without the support of the organizations that both Bart and I represent, Kaler Solutions, an education marketing and branding agency, and Bring Digital, accurately and precisely connecting universities directly to the devices of their prospective students on their physical mailing lists at a fraction of the cost of direct mail postage. On behalf of Bart Kaler, my co-host, I'm Troy Singer. As always, thank you for joining us. You've been listening to The Higher Ed Marketer. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. The Higher Ed Marketer is a production of Kaler Solutions and Ring Digital in partnership with Westport Studios. Views and opinions expressed by guests on The Higher Ed Marketer are their own and may not reflect the views and opinions of their organization. Know someone who is a mover and a shaker in higher ed marketing? Visit www.higheredmarketerpodcast.com and click on our Contact Us page. We'd love to have you tell us about them. Until next time. Oh,